the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Public worship is about preparation of the heart and the willingness to follow God wherever. Now next week we'll get into the next two realities. Uh, It's all about witness and not excess, and it's all about obedience and not preference. But for now, I just want to leave you with that thought. It's about the inside of you, not the outside. It's not what what posture you strike or how you're dressed, but how you are. That's what God looks at, the heart. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles. Verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. A better word would be dissension there. Likewise, and in the same, same thought, I desire that in every place, I inserted it there for clarity, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. And self-control speaks to mindfulness there. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and fell into transgression and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved, kept is a better word, preserved, through childbearing if they continue in faith and in love and holiness with self-control. Chapter 3, verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's elder, 
He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Moving on to verse 8. Deacons likewise must be, verse 12, the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. When you read the pastoral epistles, one of the things you have to realize is they were written for a particular purpose, and that is to address church matters. Whenever you read an epistle, whether it's a Pauline epistle or an epistle by Peter, know that it was written for a particular purpose to correct something, to clarify doctrine, something of that nature. And so what we have here in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 11, is the discussion about straightening out the doctrine that was all messed up there at Ephesus, Paul is telling Timothy, go there and instruct certain people not to teach because the doctrine is messed up, therefore so is their practice, as we'll talk about in a few moments. You see this theme again in chapter 4 where Paul is dealing with Gnosticism in its earlier forms and he talks about people who, who forbid marriage, whose consciences are seared and who teach things they should not teach and he reminds them that everything created by God is good and is to be enjoyed and made holy by the word of God in prayer. This pops up again in 2 Timothy 2.15. Some would say the Awana verse, to show yourself a workman approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. And again, it's talking about some of the doctrinal issues there that affected the lives and practice of the people. And so what we have here is Paul writing to Timothy eager to refute the bad teaching and the bad practices and to vaccinate the congregation, the assembly there, the people, against further attacks by false teachers and people who were teaching something other than the truth. And so Paul called upon Timothy to fight the good fight. See, there's no way around that task. Timothy would have to confront things head on. And Paul wanted him to go there and to refute false teachers, to teach the truth of the gospel, to ensure proper conduct in the worship assembly, to select qualified church leaders, to promote godly behavior and motives on the part of both the leaders and the so-called laity, and to basically lay out the blueprint for the church, for them and for all of us as well. And that's why Paul writes, I write these things so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of faith, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. This was no small task. This was a tall order. And Timothy had to be up for the task. Ephesus was a tough place. He was a young man. It was a major city. One of the seven wonders of the world was there. An eminent city filled with eminent people, some of whom were in the church some of whom were people of stature that a young man in his 30s would find it difficult to contend with. But that's what Timothy was called to do. And after chapter 1, it's all about practice. It's all about living out our faith. It's about worshiping God in a way that pleases God. Worship is how we conform ourselves to God's will. Now, last week, Pastor Chris broke down verses 1 through 8 in chapter 2, and we're going to be in chapter 2 today. And then uh, he also, last week, talked about the greatest act that you can do by asking God to act, and I think he gave us a wonderful teaching on prayer. Today, we take on how to act when we worship God in the public worship service. And what I'd like to do is to look at the universal principles for worship that are contained in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Today we're going to confine our discussion really to verses 8 through 10, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I want to read those to you now, 
And then we'll get into uh, three realities that we need to embrace so that we can worship God the way he wants to be worshipped in the public service. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling, dissension. Likewise, and I desire that in every place, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Paul is addressing some of the issues in the worship there at, at Ephesus, and he wants Timothy to correct it. Sometimes, sometimes we get caught up in the outward trappings of worship you have to remember that Ephesus was the home of the temple of Artemis. The Romans called her Diana. She, was a, uh, uh, she had to do with fertility. And the Greco-Roman worship was very ostentatious. The priests doing their thing and, and all these incredible robes and acting out and just bigger than life. And then the, the vestal virgins and some would say temple prostitutes attired in all kinds of wild robes, dressed up, lots of makeup and jewelry. It was a show. But church isn't about the show, it's about the grow. And so we have here Paul's vaccination, Paul's inoculation for that. And what it is here, there are three realities about corporate worship that we need to know so that we can prepare to worship God in the public worship service. And I'm going to give you all three right now. Public worship, it's all about the internals, not the externals. Two, it's all about witness, not excess. And three, it's all about obedience, not preference. And what we're going to get to today only is reality number one. And we'll catch the other two uh, realities next week. Reality number one, realize corporate worship, like all worship, is about the internals and not the externals. Again, we talked about Roman and Greek pagan worship and all that's pageantry and drama and costumes and everything but that's not what church is about church is not supposed to be like the world it's supposed to be unlike the world and the church is supposed to make a countercultural statement to the surrounding culture we're to look different we're not to blend in we're to stand out by how different we are and so Paul writes in verses 8 through 10 these words I want to read them again I desire then that in every place every church the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, without dissension. Likewise, and again in invisible ink, I desire that in every place also that women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. They are to adorn themselves, it says, with good works. Now, what's going on here? Well, we have similar problems today. So many of the worship services are more like performance art than they are about the worship of the one true God. Those responsible for leading worship, the men responsible for leading the public prayer, should do so with a right heart, more so than a right pose or a right posture. This right heart, this good conscience, this sincere faith is a constant theme that is woven through chapter 1 and indeed through the rest of the pastoral epistles. Let me give you some examples. 
Yeah, 1 Timothy 1.5. Look at the phrase, a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy 1.19, holding faith and a good conscience. This is all internals. 1 Timothy 2.8, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And then 1 Timothy 3.9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear or cleansed conscience. And then the, the, the opposite in uh, 1 Timothy 4.2 talks about men through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And what we see here, it's all about the internals. It's all about the heart of worship. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 15. He talked about it's not what goes into the people's mouths. They were talking about being ceremonially unclean or defiled. But look what he says in Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. There is the internal again. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Matthew 15, 18 through 20. Which brings us back, really, to verse 8 where it talks about holy hands. What's all this stuff about holy hands? What does that mean? Holy hands speak to the consecration of the heart. It speaks to a heart consecrated to God, set apart to God, dedicated to God, God God-focused. It's an outward expression of an inward condition or situation. The men leading public worship were not to, they were to come prepared. They weren't just to show up and say, let's pray. They were to come prepared with a cleansed heart, with a clean conscience, with with a mindset given over to God. And then they were to engage in the public worship service. This has been a pattern throughout the Old Testament and the New. In fact, when King Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8.22, we see this stretching out of hands, holy hands. 1 Kings 8.22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of God in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Do you think he just showed up and said, let us pray? Or do you think he was ready to go spiritually before he got up there? Do you think his heart was in the right place? The Psalm, Psalm 141 and Psalm 143, you see this. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Psalm 141, 2. Psalm 143, 6 says this. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. There's that inner condition. Holy hands speak to an inner heartfelt commitment to God. A mind prepared. It's not just doing the sign of the cross or pointing to the sky when you cross the goal line and go into the end zone. It's not just about kneeling or the folding of your hands. Public prayer begins with an inward cleansing prior to public action, prior to the worship service, prior to public prayer. Don't miss here that chapter 2 is about public corporate worship. We see this in verse 8 again. I desire then that in every place, now he's talking about every church, the men, not a man, not all men, the men who lead worship should pray lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. You don't just walk up and say, good morning, let us pray. It's almost like getting ready for communion. You want to be ready to go. You want to be spiritually in the right place. You might want to take some time 
to confess your sins before God and ask God to help you to lead the people in worship to be ready to go like the pastors do, like Pastor Pete before he leads worship or Pastor Chris or me before I preach or Pastor uh, Roberto before he preaches. Now, men and women are going to be praying, right, for all kinds of things for people who are in authority. But when it talks here about the men, he's referring to the men leading the worship. These are not husbands in the home, though it would include them. It's the men in every church, in every place. Why? How do we know this? Well, some people like to say, oh, this is really about husbands and wives. No, that would be Ephesians 5. That might be 1 Peter 3, or it might be uh, Colossians 3. This is a pastoral epistle. It is about church matters, about the teaching and the practice of the local church. And for those in the service and for those up front, it's about the heart. And, and, and also, he'll turn his attention to those seated in the service. In verse 9, call it 8b and 9. It says this, I desire likewise also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. They will adorn themselves with good works. There's an old saying that cuts both ways, really. Appearances can be deceiving. It's true, the lifting up of holy hands, the way a person dresses or carries themselves, tells you a lot about them. But there's a lot you don't see either. But here's the deal. If you're all about performance when you get up on the platform, don't expect the people in the audience to respond in the right way. Don't expect God to be pleased. And... The way that you dress or carry yourself among the flock of God is just as important. Again, remember the context here, Greco-Roman culture. In Ephesus, which was the home to the temple of Artemis, there was a lot of show, a lot of uh, glamour associated with the worship of Artemis. And this is not showtime in the church of the living God. It is grow time. And so... Paul wanted the people to be focused on the inner beauty of the inner person, the inner heart that is pleasing to God. And so the men who lead in worship should not posture like a priest in the temple, and the women should not be dressed like a vestal virgin or a temple prostitute ready to participate. They need to call attention to God through their conduct, through the outflowing of their heart condition, not by their theatrics or the way they look. It wasn't showtime, it was grow time. Now, let me just be clear here because inevitably somebody gets the wrong idea. There's nothing wrong with dressing well, particularly if you're a man or a woman, particularly for women. Jewelry, the braiding of hair, the point is not so much the appearance but what it reveals about the person. You know, you're not to be over the top. How you are is often revealed on how you carry yourself, how you act up front or how you act in the worship service. So it's not about wearing nice jewelry. It's about dressing dramatically or, dis- or distracting people. But again, you don't want to get carried away with the idea because you know what? Appearances can be deceiving. And one of the best examples of the reverse of that is in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. And again, it's in the context of public worship And it's in the temple, and it's the story that Jesus tells us, the account of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, the Pharisee would have been dressed in a very appropriate manner with his his, uh, phylacteries and his prayer shawl. And a, a tax collector would have been dressed over the top. 
And he would have been dressed well because they were typically well-to-do because they extorted taxes and kept a percentage from themselves uh, out of the Jewish people. And there's a warning here, unless you or I get carried away and paint in too broad a brushstroke. And so we read this in Luke 18, 10 through 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. Here's a prayer. That I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now look at the tax collector in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than to the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. To the outward observer, the Pharisee would have looked like the holy man. And the, and the tax collector would look like a tax collector, a sellout, a traitor. But what we see here is the inner person. And, and what we see is this. God looks at the heart. He said that with the selection of King David by Samuel. And he said, don't look at his brothers and the way they look. God doesn't look as men look. God doesn't see as men see. God looks at the heart. And worship is all about the heart. It's not about the externals. It's about the internals. And so we want to be prepared to worship. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dissension. Likewise, I desire that in every place also that the women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, and not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. What do you do with all this? Because this is as far, we're only going to get to point one today, right? It's about internals, not externals. We'll get to the other points next week. But what do you do with this now? Here are two suggestions for, for application Suggestion number one is approach the worship service seriously or more seriously, perhaps. Come prepared. We see this in I desire that men in every place should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Holy hands should be controlled by a holy heart, a godly attitude. We should come consecrated, not decorated. Men don't posture. Men pray. This goes for all people, pastors, worship team members, people in the audience, you name it. We need to come prepared to worship. Suggestion number two, leave the world outdoors. Leave the world outside. Leave the garbage at the door, or better yet, in the parking lot. We see this at the end of verse eight. Lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for a woman, for women who profess godliness, with good works. When we pray, when we worship, we leave the world outdoors. When we come inside the building and gather as a church, we leave aside our petty differences. You know, you may have to go up and pray publicly, and you may see somebody out there that you've got differences with. 
You may see somebody out there that you have that you differ with politically. Leave the politics outside. There are no such thing as trolling prayers. We are to come dressed in devotion to God. We are to come prepared to worship, leaving the world behind so that we can focus our hearts and our minds on God. Because in the end, public worship is about preparation of the heart and the willingness to follow God wherever. Now, next week, we'll get into the next two realities. Uh, It's all about witness and not excess, and it's all about obedience and not preference. But for now, I just want to leave you with that thought. It's about the inside of you, not the outside. It's not what what posture you strike or how you're dressed, but how you are. That's what God looks at, the heart. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then... I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Amen.